Hello and welcome to season three of The Road Provides, a travel podcast for the next generation of travelers, adventurers, and vagabonds. I'm your host, Bradford Clements. Joining me as always is my co-host in Denver, Nate Sundermeyer, aka the Tiger Woods of Korean day spas. We're putting on our dancing shoes this week as we head down to South America to do an interview in Buenos Aires and then stop off in Peru on the way back. So grab your zapatos and pasaportes. This is The Road Provides. Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. Tiger Woods. I'm about 40 under par. That's how good I'm feeling right now. Again, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode. I'm looking at Nate and he has the freshest high and tight haircut. He looks like goose out of like a million dollars. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a glow about him. Nate's back. Uh, You know, I think after last episode, maybe those are the last few demons I had to exercise before I could get back to living. Here I am. I had a great week in Fort Collins with my mom. I did some training, but I'm back here in Denver. I'm here to stay for the next three months, more or less. And I'm super pumped about it just to be here, focus on what I want to focus on, get haircuts, look good. I just had some Thai food. So even though my stomach isn't a hundred percent, I'm feeling good. Uh, what up with you, Brad? Uh, I'm good, man. It's uh, the weather's great. <laughs> I want to go back to something you said though, when you, when you're talking about being with your mom, do you want to share like what your dad's up to? Um, yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. So my my dad, he's on the Romanian border, Romanian Ukraine border, and my mom is joining him this week. I don't think I told you that, but you uh, yeah, that. they're they're there for the next two months, um, and my dad's running a distribution center to help Israel aid and USAID get aid into the Ukraine, into Ukraine, not the Ukraine. The Ukraine is strong. Yes. So. Pretty crazy that they're over there, but it's really cool to see my dad's uh, skill set of something not so sexy be pretty cool in this situation. I, you know, he's he's got a few good stories of uh, supply chain and logistics that make you go, okay, he's kind of like Jason Statham, but in a lot more <laughs> subdued version. But uh, yeah, it's uh, cool. it's cool to see that and, and spend time with her before she went over there. And I guess I'm I'm you know my sister and I are just gonna have to hold down the the Sunday fort in Colorado right now. Well, I'm glad yeah. you mentioned it, and big shouts to Papa Sunday and safe travels to Mama Sunday. And hope he said not know. to mention or publicize it, but you know, who knows if putting it on the podcast is exactly the the publicity he's afraid of. <laughs> Oops! And your friend, our friend, friend of the pod, Andy was over there for uh, a couple of weeks as well. So big shouts to Andy for getting out there and doing and doing some good work. Anything else to mention? I had a birthday this last weekend. None of you said happy birthday to me. I'm not going to hold that against you. But when you said none of you, include me. I, I actually I, didn't step up to the plate on that one, which uh, is on me. But um, there's going to be kept, plenty I of celebration. It, <laughs> I kept it quiet. I kept it humble. Nobody's on Facebook anymore, so nobody knows these things. I don't know your birthday. I actually had to like go back into an old message. Is June 7th? June 6th. June 6th. See? I got to put it in the calendar. It's crazy. There's like a 10-year run there where because of Facebook, I mean, you would just get hundreds of happy birthdays. And now it's down to like 10. And now it's, yeah, if that. It's your your parents' friends. (laughs) Well, and then, you know, people took it to the next level where 
They're like, well, I'm going to see it's on Facebook, but I'm not just going to Facebook comment him. I'm going to actually text him, right? And so then you got a personal text. And now that is just, there go 200 loving comments to you to, to lift you up and support you on your day of birth. They're just off the table now. And now the you're back to The times have changed being, and they've yeah. worsened. It's getting pretty dark out here. I don't know what's what the future holds, but anyways. It'd well, be happy birthday, Brad. Uh, I would sing, but this mic's picking up way too much for me, so... Um, let's, let's are, you ready, are you ready to get into it this, uh, this week? Yeah, let's get hot. <laughs> Woo. So we got our travel takes, the hot takes and, uh, Brad, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever experienced mad dog 357? I don't know what that is. No, it is, uh, one of the, f- the hot sauces. That's a frequent, uh, in Sean Evans interview show, hot ones. It's 357,000 Scovels. And I thought at a bachelor party where we, we did a, our own version of hot ones. I thought it'd be funny uh, after the the bachelor asked me to to put Mad Dog three fifty seven on my nipples, and thirty thirty minutes later, it was the most painful uh, you know feeling I've ever experienced in that chest region, far and away. <laughs> so, listeners, please don't do that. It was incredibly dangerous. Maybe that that should be the picture we post. There is a picture. Is there a picture? <laughs> it's me no. shirtless in a shower holding two ice cubes on my nipples just like in complete agony i think you would uh you'd really appreciate it but anyways we're, we're trying to go hot but not that hot so with that brad what are you gonna what, what kind of mad dog level of heat are you gonna bring to me this week i just want to tell the listeners i feel like nate has been waiting three years to weave in a story about his nipples into this podcast so nate well done uh thank you thanks for your patience and holding off for so long but but here you have it take a bow my hot take this week is pretty straightforward. I love a good layover. I hunt mm. them, actually. When I search for flights and look over and it says 32 hours of travel time instead of seven, my eyes light up. And I think, what juice can I squeeze out of one night in Amsterdam, Frankfurt, Bogota? Any sane person looks at these flights and goes, that's going to cost me a hotel room and an extra $200. Also, 30 hours of traveling sounds awful. And you're right. <laughs> but deal me in anyway. This is just one side of the layover coin. I'm in love with the airport layover experience as well. To me, airports are like Middle Earth. They're portals. The good ones are like a sim city of an actual city or a region. It's a place personified in transit. When you fly through Istanbul, for example, it's like east meets west. It's the center of the travel vortex. You can walk a terminal and hear 10 different languages. The smoking lounge is like an Eastern European nightclub. There's like a 15-year-old Russian dude, chain-smoking darts, Serbian models, a family from Lebanon, and then me, my, my skinny American ass wearing all black. Where else in the world can you get that type of diversity in one room at 9 o'clock in the morning? And that's just scratching the surface. The airport in Portland has a movie theater in it, Nate. Incheon International in South Korea, which I believe you might have been to, it hosts concerts and has art exhibits. Munich has a fucking ice skating rink. Singapore houses a Michelin star restaurant. So I'm just here to tell you listeners, next time you see a massive layover, just take a pause, consider it for a moment. It might be worth the wait. See what I did there? Ooh, that was pretty slick. And uh, yeah, I'm all on board on this one. I think 
I think especially when I was in my younger days, I feel like I, now that I'm such an old bull, I'd look at it and say, how could I, you know, what could I do there? Is there any people I could see? Is there, and I think the, when you talk about kind of both of those, I had like 12 hours in, I was flying from Russia into Vietnam and I had nine hours at Incheon and I spent four of them. They had it like for $9, I got four hours at a spa. That is like free. That's cheaper than like a fucking beer in any American airport. And I like went in a hot tub. I got a steam room. I showered. And then they have like these zero gravity chairs. And I slept for two. Oh, I was like the wow. first two hours I slept in like three days. For $9? And for $9. And get, they took get, my shoes, which were the Yeezys. And he's like, these are really nice shoes. I go, I know. Thank you. But were they, they were fake Yeezys. Fake, fake Yeezys. Yeah. 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 Let's, but let's, uh, I, then I, I, then I went sure into, in there. yeah, then I went into downtown Seoul, met up with a friend and had like a really nice Korean meal and then got back on the plane. It was, Jeez. it was such a good experience. And I was like, well, I should do that more often. I, you know, granted not every day you're traveling and that like, the woods, inch, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, two things. Is that the best $9 you've ever spent? Do you uh, have? Yeah, I think morale morale boost. I don't think uh, any other nine dollars in the world has m boosted my morale. The ROI, as much as that. On, the ROI on those nine dollars <laughs> seems quite quite high. Two, you bring up a good point unintentionally, possibly, is that a lot of these, like a lot of the real banger airports in this world, where you're just getting this full on cinematic experience, just walking through. Like, there's a fucking rainforest in Singapore, isn't there? Yeah, there's like a, a butterfly. A cactus garden, a butterfly garden. There, the food court had like a cuisine from like six, probably ten different countries. And I just wait. I had like six hours to kill at that one, waiting for my parents. And I just was like, I'm gonna graze for the next four hours. And I, <laughs> they're like, Are you hungry? No, I'm stuffed. But I just had like four different cuisines from four different parts of Asia, and it was. Um, but yeah, it's like each terminal has like its own experience almost. That's so wild. I got nerdy and super excited last night and started googling best airports in the world and i was just going through this list and legit eight of them are all in asia so mm -hmm. they take pride in it it's like a oh it probably is like i bet like the the government's there it's like this is like a pissing contest like it's like oh we've got a good we're gonna have a better airport we're gonna add a you know a movie theater and then we're gonna add this and then it's like oh fuck you now we've got a waterfall <laughs> like <laughs> i think they still value the flying experience Mm -hmm. and take it to that next level like hey this should be something worth your time it's just not getting get out like it is like you know flying in the u.s is like riding the fucking subway in new york you know what i mean like all these yeah. airports pretty much suck have you been through atlanta like atlanta 20 30 years ago all right might have looked like a great airport you go through there now and it's just like ugh. it's like feels like the 1990s it's just ugh. well i have a friend who um is the architect on the architect team redesigning the portland airport I know you mentioned the movie theater, but he basically was showing me pictures of it. They're trying to embody the city, like the forest, and like put it inside this airport. And I was like, this is going to be a heavy hitter. Another reason why I love the Portland airport uh, yeah. and Portland as a city, they actually were still ranked in like the top five in U.S. airports on a lot of these lists I was looking at. Mm -hmm. So whatever he's going to do, I mean, it just must be that next Pacific Northwest level. Well, I we had this was at a wedding. We had a, we had a few drinks, and he was like, "It's like the first. It's like the hello and the goodbye to a city. You might as well make it pretty good." And I was like, "All right, Willie Wong. Yes, like, that's what I'm like, talking like, about. Going it's, off, yeah. Oh, he's speaking my language, though. This is this is what I'm saying, though. It is a portal. Yeah, and I think that's just a obviously someone who's in 
design probably, you know, puts it in that context. It also got me thinking, all right, a lot of them I've seen is like Doha in Qatar is yeah. off the chain. Again, uh, the one in Singapore and a bunch of other spots. Can you remember any in the U.S. that really are remarkable that stick out to you? You were shit on Denver Airport, and I saw on a list that Denver Airport was actually up there, but you still yeah, don't no, rate it. No, I think it's it's fine. Um, I think they've had some security issues. Not security issues. That sounds bad. Uh, just like th- they've had problems managing the amount of security. I think in general they're redoing it, and I don't. Yeah, now that I think of it, I don't know. I, I feel like some of the best airports I've been to are like they've. Um, like Columbus, Ohio, um, Indianapolis were both better airports than that, oddly enough. Indianapolis was up there. I saw Savannah, which looked beautiful. It gave me some strong plantation vibes, which is just questionable. But, you know, the, the South is the South. I thought Miami International has been redone uh, in the last five to ten years. They have, like, outdoor atriums within the airport, which I, is always, like, you're, a little you're, sub- you're bringing in jets. It's, like, jet, just jet fumes. <laughs> no, I mean, they had palm trees and stuff. I just like I like that option. I like to be outside but inside. And any yeah. airport that can weave that in, I think that's pretty cool. I thought the new – and people from New York are probably going to hate on this, but the JetBlue terminal in JFK specifically. Yeah. No, that's where I left – when I left for my whole year jet. and a half abroad is I left at the, from the JetBlue terminal. And I walk in and they're um, they're playing like the most emotional song that I like happen to love. And I was like, these sons of bitches. Like this is too cool to be playing at an airport. And it just got me all misty. So Those are a couple ones that stood out. If I would include a couple other internationals, Madrid Airport is a feat in uh, modern industrial design. The airport in Oslo, Norway, was everything you'd expect a Norwegian. Cool. It was like sleek and Scandinavian. Super, yeah. yeah, super sleek and Scandinavian. In Paris, in, in CDG, Charles de Gaulle, there's something about that airport. There you have it, folks. Layovers, good airport chat there. <laughs> layovers and airport chat. Uh, let's switch it up before we get too too deep and too nerdy <laughs> and wonky on that. Nate, would you provide for our hot take this All week? All right. Well, we're going to go down to about 200,000 Scovels. I bet that is tolerable for the human nipple. But um, my hot take or travel take this week is you shouldn't drink bottled water anywhere, but definitely not abroad. If I was Malcolm Gladwell... I'd start off by saying, I hate plastic. Was that a good was that a good Malcolm Gladwell? That was pretty good, yeah. Not bad, thank you. All right, back to the back to the plastic. It's happened before. You get to some part of the world and you hear murmurs that tap water isn't safe to drink. And all of a sudden, all sensibility goes right out the window. People start hitting the bottle quicker than the neighborhood drunk. Full blown panic. But it doesn't have to be that way, Brad. There are so many options of clean water. And it starts with you and your decision to BYOV. Bring your own vessel, a Nalgene, a water bottle, anything to contain that sweet nectar. But kind of getting back with the alternatives, a lot of hostels, most two-star, three-star hotels are going to have options to provide you clean drinking water. And I think it's that effort to be smart and plan ahead, pound some in the morning, fill up a liter, a liter and a half, hit the road and then come back and do it again. Rinse and repeat. The irony is that people who constantly tout sustainability at home, like myself, are the ones who get into the habit of drinking liter after liter of bottled water, and that shit adds up. Do you know where this trash goes, Brad? No. 
No, exactly. <laughs> I definitely don't know, but I think a good bit of it gets burned or tossed into some stream that gets out to the ocean. Have you seen the beaches in Asia, Brad? I have. Not great. It's not great. Chock full of plastic. There's like hostels who like solicit people just to go pick up plastic for an hour every day, which is great, but it shouldn't be necessary. 40 million tourists go to Thailand every year. Let's just say people are there for one week and they drink three liters of bo- three litered bottles a day. That's 21 a week, 840 million bottles, plastic water bottles a year. Imagine if that was halved, how much plastic, I can't even comprehend what that would look like. (laughs) That is like a thousand football fields of plastic. So what I'm trying to say is do your part, plan ahead, and don't be an unsustainable jabron. What are you thinking, Brad? Uh, I'm with you, one. And two, I have been guilty of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, especially when I'm like a hot day in Asia, it's like you go to like a 7-Eleven and you find like a, an ice cold water. It's like, that's, that's what you want to be drinking. That thing looks like an oasis. <laughs> Absolutely. And I even carry my own water bottle on the road. It's just, it's easy to fall into the trap that time. And so if I'm, you know, speaking to anybody who's listening, who's going on the road, man, when you look around, you see a lot of pollution. It's not an invitation just to be like, ah, fuck it. What's one it, more? What's more bottle? <laughs> exactly. Or, for example, say if you're in Brazil and they don't have a great recycling infrastructure, you just give up looking for a place to recycle something. And then it just becomes this domino of, ah, well, then, ah, fuck it. They don't care. I don't care. We don't care. Ah, you know. <laughs> Back to the drinking. <laughs> I do think there are places where you can't. Uh, it does get pretty difficult to find. And I'm saying that that's what I'm trying to say is there are times you probably have to, and I know I'm kind of back backtracking here. There are times you might have to, you know, if you can go out of your way to just do a bit more, I feel like that's like the thing is if everyone had that mindset, then it would just add up. I'm really just, this is just like basic sustainability. (laughs) (laughs) And you're just building yourself a back door. It starts, it starts with one person. And it starts with you, Nate. That's who it starts with. Here's the deal. When you're in Bolivia, like in the back country, you can't brush your fucking teeth with tap water or else you'll get Mm -hmm. sick. I saw, I went on a trip with 30 people. I saw a third of them all go down for doing shit like that. You have to brush your teeth with bottled water because it just, you're just going to get undone. India, for example, you get into some certain parts of India and fuck, you really want that intestinal parasite? You don't. So you have to be really wise and informed about what you're doing, guys. And that is Katana. (laughs) Well, on that note, let's, uh, uh can, can, any other can thoughts? I, can I just add while she's barking, she also just chewed her dog bed in front of me while we just recorded the last hot take. Well, so, she's like probably looking you in the so, eye. So as you're doing this and like, I'm listening, I'm looking at her she just like tears up this hundred dollar dog yeah, bed exactly. in front of me. Damn. So, um, and that you can't recycle. So we'll see, yeah. what, happens. We'll see what happens. She'll get a stern talking to well, awesome. Uh, how how are we? Uh, what, what's going on next in this uh, podcast? So Nate, we're gonna say goodbye for now. Nate's gonna hop off. I'm gonna do a interview with a lovely guest all the way from Buenos Aires, and then Nate's gonna hop back on at the end here, and we're gonna give you some some South American smoke. <laughs> we'll see of, on the other side, Brad, of a destination. So yeah, Nate, we'll catch you here in a little bit.
right, guys. And today, all the way from Buenos Aires, Argentina, we are joined by Paige Nichols. Paige hails from the Washington, D.C. area, but has been living in Buenos Aires for the last 14 years after a wonderful study abroad experience in B.A. inspired her to make the move when she graduated college. The rest, we say, is historia. A history, <laughs> a history we're going to dig into today. So, Paige, welcome. How are you? What's I, happening? I am just hanging on. Aren't we all hanging on by a little <laughs> tiny thread, just one mentee away from jumping into the ocean? <laughs> but you know what? Let's be honest. If there weren't just, if there weren't just like a little iota of existential suffering in our daily lives, like what's the point? So I'm going to take it as a good thing. Cool. And you said you have a long weekend to look forward to. Yes, I do. Because the benefits of living in a country that doesn't believe in the separation of church and state is that you get all the religious holidays as days off. Oh, that's right. It Holy is week. big Easter weekend. Yeah. Holy Semana Santa. I will be eating yeah. plenty of chocolate bunnies in commemoration of the resurrection of Christ. Do uh, Argentinians do anything... Um, Colorful, loud, ceremonial, are there parades or anything for Semana Santa? Do they blow it out? No. no. It's more carnaval, so like kind of like Mardi Gras, you know, like before yeah. before um, Lent and everything, especially up in the north, like in Jujuy, there's a lot of different traditions. I mean, there are a lot of still very Catholic um, and religious places and traditions, especially in the smaller towns in the interior. But here, like now for the weekend, it's really just chocolate eggs, days off from work and people sitting in traffic trying to go somewhere else. So, you know, pretty standard. <laughs> and you're not going anywhere else. You're going to stay put in Buenos Aires and enjoy the quiet. and Yeah, because I'm a cool girl and I don't do what everyone else does. And I refuse to sit in traffic for half of the long weekend. So I'd rather be here where I can get a walk in at any restaurant in the city and enjoy the peace and quiet. And yeah, just soak up this incredible fall weather. It's like beautiful blue skies, yellow leaves, very crisp. It's perfect. Have things started to turn there? Yeah. You, said, you were saying that it feels kind of like the Washington, D.C. area a bit. Do you also get the fall foliage and this? Um... Well, yeah, Buenos Aires doesn't really get, we definitely have all four seasons, though it's fully changing thanks to hashtag climate change. But um, like the winters really aren't that cold anymore. It's mostly just rainy, but it is mm. fully swamp, like swamp central, so hot. Every time you turn on the news or the TV, they have both the temperature and the what they call the sensación térmica, which is like the heat index. It's 80 degrees, but it feels like 112. And like, that's literally just part of life. Very hot summers are very swampy and sweltering. Um, we get some foliage in the city. It's prettier down in the south where you have more color and like even sure. in Mendoza. But um, yeah, now we're just kind of yellow. It's nice. I miss that part about the D.C. area. Yeah. When I lived in <clears throat> San Diego or L.A. or even out in Montana, you just don't get that kind of color and it's quite nice to have. Yeah, so. I love the I love the seasons turning. It always I and mean, it feels like back to school. <laughs> Absolutely. For and me. Then, <laughs> yep, and then the holidays around around the corner. I don't know. It's just this uh I guess maybe for us growing up in that area, it was such a pivotal moment in life. Summer was coming in and new things were coming in. You see yeah. your friends again at school and all this other stuff. So. New binders and backpacks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, absolutely. So let's jump right in. I want to do a quick vibe check. By the way, anytime I say vibe on the podcast, listeners have to drink. So drink. Uh, vibe check. Uh, I want to do an Argentina <laughs> vibe check. 
we've all cocooned in our respective countries for the last two years. I'm mm -hmm. fascinated by this idea of what emerges. Mm -hmm. I think we're probably still, it's a little too early to know, but what is Argentina like at the moment? Argentina is, well, Argentina is a un país histérico, just, just for starters. Like, they're very introspective, they're very reflective, very analytical, very talking mm. about their feelings, always processing. It's fantastic. Why do you think I chose to live here? <laughs> um, but, you know, also a land of superlatives, you know, like Messi, the Pope, Queen Maxima, like the best of everything, like the long, the, the widest avenue in the world, the best wine, the best steak. Now it's the longest quarantine in the world, which became debatable <laughs> for after a while, but it was definitely up there. Um, we were like properly locked down, like properly locked down for over seven months, like couldn't even go on the street with someone from your household kind of thing. We, I mean, people are kind of over it, but, but not in the same sense as like maybe you would see in the US because Argentines are very, they have a very strong connection to like a collective consciousness. So you'll still see people on the street, like wearing a mask. Um, mm. It's sort of like, it's, even if it's not really required, like they do love to flout the rules, but at the same time, they're very mindful of the rules. So it's this kind of contrast and dichotomy that's always present. So now that we like 85% of the country is fully vaccinated, um, once they became available here, everyone was like really quick because people want to get back to life. I think yes. when you're very geographically um, isolated and very remote from the rest of the world, especially Argentines looking a lot to the United States and to Europe for inspiration and for connection and all these things and tradition, they want to get out there. So it's like, if I, if I have to get a vaccine to go, I'm going. And people are feeling good in that sense. Um, we survived summer, we survived Omicron. And so, yeah, things feel like they're finally starting to just like settle in and get more back to normal. Sure. Well, let's stay there. Um, <laughs> what about Buenos Aires did it for you? What captured your heart and attention? <laughs> what leapt off the page in this uh, in this study abroad experience that um, you know? I want to. We talked about this pre-interview, but I want to reinforce to our listeners what a boss move I think it was to move back after you studied there. Three hundred thousand people study abroad every year. I was one of them. I've talked to a lot of folks who've done it. Everybody says they want to go back to the host country where they study in, but most people don't. Um, so what grabbed you in Buenos Aires that made you make the leap? Well, first to go to study abroad, like I wanted to go to a place where I could really truly immerse myself. So I, wa I wanted to go to, I didn't, I didn't want the experience of trying to like check off as many cities or countries on my bucket list of sort of like, you know, bopping around Europe. Um, I also didn't want to go to a place where I was going to maybe have to be really limited in how I could interact for like safety or access reasons or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So Buenos Aires was kind of this perfect hybrid and I was really excited to arrive and I literally just landed and it was instant. It was this instant feeling of I belong here. I, I love it here. I, this feels right. This is exactly what I want. It's a city that's massive, but also is feels like everyone knows each other because it has a lot of that as well. I love the architecture. I love the culture. I just love the warmth of the people. I love how insane they are. Like they're just bonkers. Like I love, I, I really like, I just, it's these little moments when you're out up in the morning and all of the doormen are out in their olive green uniforms and they're hosing down their patch of sidewalk which is so weird, but like they're all doing it. And they're saying hello to all of the neighbors who are walking their little dogs. Or you see the dog walkers with the groups of 20 and you have no idea how they even cross the street. And then you, you know, go to pick up your dry cleaning and you walk by this little cafe and it's full of these old little grannies who are perfectly coiffed and just dress the nines for their daily morning outing with their friends. They're 90 years old, but they have a bigger social life than I do. 
And then you keep going and you walk through this incredible park that's just full of like young people furiously making out with each other. And then there's like a an old lawyer sitting on a park bench eating a big massive ice cream cone for lunch. And you're like, who does that? And then you keep going and it's like, it's suddenly happy hour aperitivo time. And it's like these old men playing cards on the corner, drinking their vermouth, smoking, shooting the shit. It keeps going. And there's just so much nostalgia for a life that I didn't live. Like I just felt Mm. like really nostalgic for something that like felt deep in my soul and so invigorated and inspired. And like, I just wanted to eat the whole city. Like I wanted just to devour it. And I wanted to, I never wanted it to stop. And so when I finished school, I, I was like, I just always say like, Give me con ganas de Argentina. like I just wanted more and it's like a drug. Um, I don't do drugs. That's fine. I'm pro legalization of everything, but like I'm caffeine is like all I really need. Cause I'm pretty tightly wound, but it was like, it was like this feeling of, okay, yes. And I just wanted to give it a try. I kind of just, I think that without knowing, I did not want to take that path of going to New York after graduation, getting some job just because I wanted to start climbing some ladder where I didn't even know where it was leading mm. and I didn't want to figure out where that was leading. I was just wanted to opt out and just do something else and strike out. And Argentina provides like the perfect background for that, I think. Does it still provide? Does it still all that romanticism? It's it's kind of like you walked into a novel when you were in university and what sustains you now? You've been there for 14 years. I'm sure your interests have evolved. Um, yeah. I liked what you were painting for us. What does uh, continue to paint, please? What does an ideal weekend look like? Well, I'm Is it pretty, still I'm true a, for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a creature of habit. And, and so I love I love carving out little routines in such a big place because it's so easy to be anonymous. But I really, I love being a regular. Like, I love that. I love going to the same place and they don't even bring me the menu. And they, or, you know, it's like, I know the doorman. I know, I don't know. I just, I love feeling like I'm a part of that community. I love living in a city for that reason. And, mm-hmm. you know, BA has provided a lot. It's given me everything. I mean, every single day I'm asked by at least like one person, like, ¿Qué haces acá? You know, like, what are you doing here? And, you know, and they're like, do you like it? And, you know, people can't believe that like an, an U.S., someone from the United States would like choose to live here. They just, you know, they're so, they're taught so much self-loathing alongside extreme pride. It's quite funny. They can't really make up their minds. Um, they both can be true, I guess. So I've kind of been forced to always think about why I'm here because I'm asked it all the time. And I just like to explore that question. And I jokingly say, because I like to suffer, <laughs> you know, because like, why else would I live on the other side of the world in a, in a country with a very unstable economy, with a highly devalued currency, double digit inflation. Like I love how people in the US are freaking out now about like 8% inflation. I'm like, hold my beer, you know, like, come on, like, call me, call me when, yeah, when they, when like the menu, the menus have like little labels over the prices because they can't keep up with the, with the modifications. Um, So like, despite all of that, I, I I just feel fiercely like protective and proud of, of my decision to be here and really lucky. I'm, I'm highly aware too of the privilege I have of, as being a native English speaker and like a Hmm. white woman living in this country. Um, Well, woman, not so much, but the sense of, so that so opening a lot of doors. So, so what is it then? 
It's everything. What do, you, what do you do now? What is what's? Uh... What do I do? I I'm a bon vivant. I mean, no, I I literally I just, like that. I go on the hunt for dogs every day. I just see how many dogs I can meet and how many flowers I can buy off the street. I don't know. It's just this. It's vibrant. I feel incredibly lucky to have. I have met more people and done more things um, from such different backgrounds and experiences that I don't think I ever would have had the chance to do if I had stayed at, mm. stayed at home. I really opened myself up to that experience. I really put myself in those spaces, I could have very easily stayed in a bubble of just hanging out with like embassy people maybe and like not ever really learning Spanish and just kind of sure. taking the good bits and avoiding the other bits. But I just wanted to throw myself in head first. I was like, this is where I am. This is where I live. And I'm going to just say yes to everything and make it work. You know, again, like it's has, it's, it's come with its challenges, but life is hard. Life isn't meant to always be happy, but I just can't imagine myself anywhere else. So that plays into this quote I had teed up for you. Um, it's by Hannah Arendt, mm-hmm. and it's about living abroad. She says, loving life is easy when you are abroad. <laughs> hmm. Where no one knows you, you hold your life in your own hands all alone. You are more master of yourself than at any other time. Yeah. Now, I understand life in Buenos Aires and Argentina can be pretty difficult, but do you feel like that rings true for you, that part of the romanticism and and... The reason why you stayed is that you just got to be the master of of your reality and um, live at a pace that you enjoy and amongst um, a culture and a community that you've created value and found value. I think that it's incredibly empowering to remove yourself from everything you've known and go elsewhere and, and choose to... I mean, I was 21 years old. Like literally a newborn baby. I'm like, yes, what? A child. <laughs> like child. Like I, I think of that now. I think if I saw a 21 year old being like, I'm going to move halfway across the world. And I'd be like, okay. What are you like, doing? <laughs> like, I mean, today, you know, I mean, also because you have the, the luxury of not having roots yet. And you're very much a free agent. And um, I In think that sense, that I think it's easy. You're it's not much easier. The, the ignorance. I mean, the youthful ignorance, right? It's because I, I mean, I made, when I left, it wasn't like I said, okay, I'm moving to Argentina. I'm never coming back. It was very much just like, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, very kind of non-committal because I also just wasn't sure. And one thing leads to the next. Um, I think that I found, I definitely, no, I know I found myself here and that's sort of part of also because I got here when I was at the age I got, um, the age I arrived. Um, and then just really pursuing, like I think I just unknowingly really committed myself to that pursuit and have been able to be very aware of the conscious decision. Because I think that if, if I had just stuck with inertia at home and just stayed in DC or gone up to New York, I mean, sure, I'm I'm sure that on the surface, everything would have been fine. I would have been successful and happy and adjusted. But did I really make that choice? Or is it just like going, you know, going with that flow, which again, isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just did not vibe with me. Tapering. Yeah, and I, and I think... Uh... <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, yeah, and I think when you go, when you leave all that infrastructure of family, society, and everything that you've been taught your whole life, you kind of get full creative license. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you found, it sounds like you found a lot of that down there and you were able to build something for yourself that... Yeah, I mean, it gets. it's funny because you think that it gets easier as time goes on. Like you think, okay, the longer I'm, a, the longer I'm abroad... I'll get, it'll be easier, but it's actually, I found it's gotten harder because my sister also lives abroad. She lives in Singapore now, but she's been in London and Italy. Um, she has two kids. She has one child I haven't even met because she was born last year in the pandemic. Um, Mm. you know, you miss, you miss birthdays, you miss weddings, you miss births, 
and when you're young, it's like that you don't think about that as much. Um, yeah. And I, when you get older, you know, and you think of your parents aging and. I think then it's just like having, again, the luxury and the privilege to be able to build a life around a job or around a, something that lets you have that flexibility. So up until very recently, like even like right before the pandemic, but um, when, of course, everything did change in terms of work and being remote, I was, you know, I only had like two weeks of vacation a year. And that was a pain. And that was really hard, right? Because it's like you have to be very selective. Yeah, where yeah, go. where you're going and trying to manage your parents' expectations and wanting to see your family, but also being like, I want to do other things. Um, and now it's, luckily, I'm, I'm more flexible in that sense, so I won't be missing as much, digamos, at least not unintentionally. But, um, you know, it's, I you know, I could very easily be living in the U.S. and, like, be estranged from my family. So just because I live in the same country doesn't mean I see them all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere, Montana. I didn't see yeah. my brother. My brother hadn't been able to visit in a couple of years. Yeah. I, as a single man, with not a ton of responsibility until I got this dog now, um, would go back. But yeah, you can live. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've lived in California a couple of times and people just don't come out. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's not always easier guaranteed that mm-hmm. way either. Mm-hmm. Um, let's transition um, again. I want to... Um, address and speak to the role in the work you're doing with Wild Terrains Mm -hmm. in Argentina. For our listeners, Wild Terrains curates small travel groups for women, by women, uh, with the philosophy that seeing the world through another woman's eyes is transformative. You are the trip lead for the Argentina experience. How did you... How did you get involved and what's it like facilitating such an empowered journey? Um, I, I feel like it's the culmination of these almost 15 years of doing what I'm doing, of connecting with people, falling in love with where I've chosen to live and wanting to like shout that from the rooftops and really connecting with creative women. So I met Lauren, who's the founder of the company through what we, what we jokingly call the women's whisper network, but it's like so real. It's like, it's like, what do you think of friend? Like I have a friend who knows a friend who is a journalist based in Mexico city who then knows this person who she was in London and she has a story. I mean, I'm just like very random kind of connections, but they're so strong. Um, and so a friend of a friend put us in touch when she was here doing research for the first trip, like scouting. And we met and it was just like, are you kidding? Like this could be a job. Like I could actually do this for real. And it's not just like a pipe dream. I get to take people around and show them like the best parts of this country that I've chosen to call home. And it's, it, it touches on like a lot of the things that I like to do and I'm good at. Like I'm a, I'm a, like put me in front of an audience and just like wind me up and let me go. Like I am just, I love it. Like just give me a mic, give me a megaphone. Um, literally just no one can shut me up. I'm a one woman show. And I love, I was like a tour guide in college, you know, at Boston college, like on campus. Like I love just having people ha- who are forced to listen to me and follow my instructions. You've been um, preparing for this moment. It sounds like I, it's like, I kind of, that's what I mean. Like it's, you that's know, beautiful. it all, it all just came, came together and I was able to be myself. I think also I was used to work. I mean, I've worked in communications, PR, um, marketing media, and I was able to tap into those spaces sort of as, as time went on, but I don't know, also like working just to be able to work around like-minded women, um, and to be able to have fun doing it and to feel like I have, I get to really put a lot of myself into that space, um, is super validating. And it's just incredible to watch people fall in love with Argentina. Like I love seeing that happen in other people. Um, sure. It's like seeing your experience 
right? Through other yeah. people's eyes, right? And being and, able and, just to like hold their hands through that. Facilitate that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it's pretty beautiful. And just to make those connections, I like to be a bridge. Um, I've, I've learned that I'm, I, I, I really like to be a kind of a connector in every sense of the word. And yes, I, co- I called yeah. you a medium. <laughs> and I should have worn my turban. Like where's my <laughs> turban? And like, I should have had my crystal Where's your ball. globe? Yeah. I want to stick to something here as it pertains to women um, and gender in Latin America. And I feel like our listeners might not understand the significance of the experience you guys are creating and facilitating Mm -hmm. um, against the backdrop of gender inequality in Latin America. When I'm in the region, and Argentina is no exception, I can't escape machismo and the machismo mentality, um, this ever-present feeling of male dominance. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it's changed a lot particularly like the last five years, yeah. I've seen and read about the Ni Una, Mena, uh, Ni Una Menos movement mm-hmm. that had a profound uh, effect on the country and mm-hmm. the region. I saw it spread throughout South yeah. America. I even saw that the uh, the leaders of the Women's March in the U.S. kind of pointed to what the Ni, yeah. unos, Ni Una Menos... Why am I struggling with that? Ni Una uh, Menos. Ni, <laughs> Ni Una Menos. Uh, folks did down there, which is really cool to see, um, considering I was at the Women's March in D.C. Yeah. But... Can you sense what this type of experience means to the Argentinian businesswomen you partner with? Yeah. What it's like for them to be the representatives of their country to yeah. other women against the historical backdrop of machismo? Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible because just see, just realizing how many talented and dynamic and inspiring and truly awesome women um, work here in every in every industry especially like um like in wine fashion food um just running business in general right i mean and uh, there's so there's such a force and it's true that in the past i would even say of 10 years you know things have really changed um in terms of moving toward a, a different kind of um paradigm but it's really i i love seeing for them how they're able to showcase what they do and what they love and their passions and their vocations to a, an international audience that's very curated and very engaged and that really values what they do. So it's not just like lip service. Um, and I just think that there's nothing bad that can come from that because you see these connections being formed and it's social, but it's also like, you know, even inspirational for business ideas and other things like, Hey, I do this in New York. Like I would love to bring your whatever here. I don't, you know, just, it just kind of gets those seeds going and, and, and being planted. Um, and I, I'm, you t- yeah, I just, I don't know. I, to me, it's just sort of like, I'm so unapologetic, um, in my commitment to this and support of women's rights that it, it extends, you know, it's Argentina is very politically engaged. The people, um, like taking to the streets is like, we all do it. And yes, I think that there's a lot of power in that, even though, yeah, sometimes it pisses you off because there's some protest that's like blocking the road when you like have to get to work. Sure. But the the power of, of being together and like sort of being behind one one vision and one mission, I just think is like is very transformative. Yeah. And I, and I see Wild Terrains is kind of supporting that. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. And this really strikes to me. It's not just business, but I would like to think that the... Got it. Moral support sounds so terrible. Um, but I really think that this would just validate and strike such a deeper chord with these women. It's just 
it's much more than sharing what they do. Oh yeah. Like this is be like, you are seen, you are heard. And for that to happen in Latin America for me, like I get emotional talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm not an emotional person. Yeah. It's, well, that's the Latin America rubbing off on you. You know, it's, um, it's, you look at the younger generations and even the older generations, but this, this commitment to creating a space where it's like turning that all on its head in every sense. It's not just like in a limited, um, stereotypically rebellious kind of viewpoint, but it's, it's being seen. I really think that at the end of the day, what we all want is we all want to be seen for who we are. And wild terrains, I think puts a beautiful focus on, it's like a snapshot of the country or the city of the moment. And it lets people see it in the most crystal, like through the most crystal clear of lenses. Um, I think that's really special. I do too. Uh, let's stay there while I'm still in my feels and speak about transformation. Uh, you and I both, I believe, share this feeling that travel can be a great vehicle for personal change. Uh, I've read a good amount of words on you and I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts. Shout out to Bad Information. Um, you can find that on Spotify. on Spotify. Subscribe on Spotify. Available on Apple um, Podcasts as well. And like I told you, I've seen you have this cultural meeting between two worlds, right? And I think it's a u- unique position to be in. Your podcast takes ownership of it as you navigate the U.S. heritage and life in Argentina. But now you're actively working directly with female travelers, right, through Wild Terrains to be this agent of transformation. Mm-hmm. Just as we we finish up here, can you speak to that experience? Um, my friend, who, who you know and how we came in contact, Teresa, she's been on a couple of these trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, she came back wanting to speak Spanish after the trip to Argentina. So you know some transformation has happened, mm-hmm. uh, but can you just kind of speak to this experience and why, again, that it's uh, it's important to you? Travel yeah, I and... Think tra- I think just getting out of your comfort zone, which sounds so cliche, but it's especially it <laughs> um, post-pandemic because we were all in such a repetitive, limited space, physically and mentally. Um, Physically removing yourself from where you are and plopping yourself down elsewhere in a place that you don't know, in a different language, a different culture, a different everything, hemisphere. Like physical, it's physically transformative, of course, it's really, it moves things within you. And it's, it's the perfect vehicle for a person to reconnect with and rediscover who they are because you are forced to rely on yourself, especially if you're traveling alone. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, so what's cool about wild terrains is it has this group, it's this group dynamic, but there are a lot of women who don't have travel buddies or, you know, who maybe their partner doesn't want to go with them or their sister can't make it because she has, you know, three little kids, whatever. And so they're like, well, I'm going to go anyway. So you have this sort of support, but you're still on your own and you're still absolutely choosing to go to a place by yourself. And that's where you learn like what you're made of. And it's, you learn, are you, are you more extroverted than you thought? Are you actually like happy being on your own? Do you gravitate toward other people? Do you, you know, what, what, who are you? And it's the, it's a perfectly safe space to play with that. I think that we are so disconnected from play as a concept um, and doing things just for that sake and not, not for a desired outcome or for to be productive um, or for its inherent value is just to play. And travel is supposed to be fun and challenging um, and pleasurable. And I just think that all those textures and being able to connect with, from a different viewpoint, this whole sensorial moment is just like what, if you're, if you're really connected with yourself, 
it can totally take you to the next, just the next level um, in any sure. sense. And I mean, because I, I mean, obviously at face value, a trip is a trip. It's a great trip. You had good food. You had good wine. Took a few photos. Okay, cool. But um, I think that there's so much more. And at to the end be, of the day, if that's mm-hmm. the risk, then great. I'll have a great time. But if you yeah. can also go and build in learning about yourself, the opportunity to maybe have some inner transformation or just to learn something new and I get to have a great trip out of it and I get to eat great food. Cool. I'd rather do that than sit in therapy in a stale, you know, or why not both? (laughs) But I think that, you know, you have exactly, but the sense of, especially for Americans, but this reminding yourself that we are not the center of the universe and that there are so many, I mean, it's just, it's a reminder of being empathetic and keeping an open mind and being less judgmental and seeing that there are a lot of ways that, to do things and that you can appreciate that and learn from it and humble yourself and remember that you're a visitor in these places and that you should be adapting to them, maybe not the country, you know, adapting to you. And that's kind of, it's, sometimes it's a bit of an ego check. I think it's good for a lot of people to be reminded of that. Um, You know, it keeps you, keeps you honest. (laughs) I agree. Uh, great. Well, let's wrap up with speaking of play and something fun we do at the end of our interviews, we do a fast 10. We never came up with a name for this segment. Um, lightning for round this, for this one. We'll say rapidos y furiosos, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 10 questions. So let's start. If you're ready, just to remind the listeners. And I guess you, though, I, I briefed you on it. 10 questions, stream of consciousness. The first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, try not to th- <laughs> try not to think too much about it, and if there's something worth picking at and sitting with, then we'll kind of chat it up. But otherwise, um, they're just fun questions, and yeah, I'm interested to hear your answers. So, Ooh. ready? <laughs> What's the first thing you want to eat when you're back in the states? Indian food. Oh, uh, best beach or vacation spot in Uruguay? Uh, Jose Ignacio La Juanita. It's my place, heaven on earth. That's what I've heard. I've never been. I, as I told you, I went up the Uruguayan coast. I was also mm-hmm. kind of there in shoulder season and things had gotten a little cool. What about Jose Ignacio? It's just this little sleepy the vibe. <laughs> the vibe is, you know, sleepy fisherman's town that has then become this boho, like, boho hot spot. You know, it's like very tony, but it's like super low key. It's very small. It explodes with, you know, wealthy people. In from January, from December to January, it's like this insane, like little microcosm of stri- weird, weird celebrities and also just like rich South Americans. But um, the rest of the year, it just has this vibe of like, ugh, it's, I don't know, something about it. It just like, te baja las revoluciones. Like you just are on a different frequency there, and the beaches are beautiful. You eat, you know, simple grilled fish. You drink albariño, the rolling green hills of your wire behind you. And just quickly, this is different from the Argentinian beach destinations, right? The beaches yes. in Uruguay are better. They're better for a beautiful. lot. Yeah. They're more They're more picturesque, I think. I mean, the Argentine Atlantic coast is, well, it's very cold. The water is very mm-hmm. cold and it's the sand is like weirdly wet. It's such a strange thing to like take a bone with. But like, they're just, I mean, there are nice little beach towns. I mean, Mar del Plata is a big city. So it's year round, it's like a proper city. But then you have little towns like Carillo and Pinamar that are a little bit nicer. They're they're but they're wooded. So it's kind of like you have these wooded forests and then it's like the beach, quite windy, can be quite cold. Those are nice, but just Uruguay to me is there's just something about it. It's just like you cross that river and you're just, I don't know. It's, it's very special. 
I've always heard that uh, Argentinians use Uruguay as their kind of like destination and travel spot. Um, it's more affordable, no? So mm, Uruguay no? now is actually extremely expensive, extremely expensive. Oh, wow. um, cost of living is very high, just for starters, like utilities and things like that. But even just like the prices in Punta and Jose Ignacio are like on they're on par with Europe in terms of like, oh, like wow. a European kind of like beach resort. So you're not it's not that it's more affordable, but it's just it's more stable. And Argentines do love to you know, they love to joke that like Uruguay is an Argentine province. And I'm like, you wish. Uruguay was an Argentine province because honestly, like, get over yourselves. But um, it's, you know, it's easy to get to and it's, yeah. People from Buenos Aires getting over themselves? Hamas. No. No. Um, No, All right. (laughs) Let's keep it moving. Must have travel accessory. Um, External battery for your phone. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, What do we call that? What is that? Is there another? I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't speak English anymore sometimes. I, 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 I say I, janky I, translations. I don't have one, but I know what's the kids. I'm so old. Anyways, moving on. Mate or an ice cold Coca-Cola? Ice cold Coca-Cola if I'm hungover and or about to suffer heat stroke in January in Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. Mate if it's mate cocido, like it comes in the tea bags. I'm not messing around with I'm not I'm not doing all that ceremony just for myself and I do not share a lukewarm metal straw with strangers. <laughs> Even pre-COVID, no thank you. All right. That was kind of like a cheat. You did a little bit of both. I don't know how I feel about that, but we'll we'll let it slide. I'm a Dream- leaper, I can't decide. <laughs> Dream destination. In the world? Now, one, two, three, answer. Vietnam. Done. Favorite Latin musician? You can make it Argentinian if you want. Right I'll now. I'll do Argentine and I'll say Juana Molina. Juana? Juana Molina. Fantastic singer songwriter. Yes, current. Okay. Um, Boca or River? San Lorenzo. <laughs> What's San Lorenzo? Uh, it's actually like Boca, like a rival, a big rival of Boca. But yeah, San Lorenzo de Almagro. I'm... Are they in the same uh, first division of Argentine yes. soccer? Are mm-hmm. they? Yeah. Mm, I went I have... to some, yeah, that was like my first exposure to, was to Argentine soccer was with a guy I dated when I was studying abroad. And he took me to the Cancha, which is located in a very, very fringy, very bad part of town. And kind I'll like never Boca? forget. <laughs> worse. Worse. Really? Like, no. Yeah. Worse. And um, uh, I learned all of the canciones de la cancha, like all the you know songs. And then I'll never forget there was this old man sitting next to me, you know, listening to his radio, listening to the game the um, in the stands. And then yep. there was something that happened with the referee, he was, the, the referee, the yeah, the ref, um, yep. el arbitro. And uh, he got up and he literally just screamed at the top of his lungs, just like an old gentleman. He just screamed, la concha y tu madre muerta. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, ex- I, I don't think I know what that means, but I'm pretty sure I know what that means. Yeah, um, yeah. Ever since and, I've been loyal and to someone. that was it for you. <laughs> that was it. Uh-huh. That's a lovely story. <laughs> um, okay. Do you ever see yourself moving back to the States? No. Favorite Instagram account at the moment? That's too hard. Um, <laughs> Brr, say it. Uh, oh, uh, shit. No, there's. Two, I live on the internet. There's like too many. Um Anything that has to do with like home decor at the po- at the moment, like anything mid-century modern, because I'm in the middle of redecorating my apartment, so this do, is gonna be boring. Do you, but do you have one? No, you don't have one that pops off the top of your head. I mean, and I, I have too many. I literally said I live on the internet, but I'll name for, one. For listeners, my new favorite account right now is No More Mondays. Oh, last one, Last Supper in Buenos Aires. What is it? 
Can I do like an evening? Can it be like a multi-course, multi-stop? Sure, but make it quick. Okay, fine. Because <laughs> um, we have to get out the door here. Okay, so we're, your time. Okay, so we're doing uh, Negronis at Los Galgos um, mm. to start. We're gonna have. I'm gonna go classic because if this is Last Supper, I like the new the new generation. But I'm gonna go old school for this. So we're gonna do Negronis at Los Galgos. Get nice and tipsy. We're gonna walk a few blocks to Parrilla Peña and have. Endrania, matabrito de cerdo, the fried banana uh, frita de carne with a big arugula salad, plenty of like subpar wine. Um, and then we're going to walk to Cadore for ice cream afterwards. And then we're going to have a nightcap at 878, which was the city's like first speakeasy. It's going to have like a good ass penicillin cocktail. Is, and then, yeah. Is this in a neighborhood? Uh, starting in Los Galgos is like in Congreso. Um, mm-hmm. Like it's near the Congress building and Parchepeña is like close by. And then Calore is on Avenida Corrientes, which is kind of like the Broadway of Buenos Aires. You know, it's like where all the theaters are. Um, very old school, classic Buenos Aires. And then 878 is in Villa Crespo, which is like just past Palermo. I think that would be kind of like a... I think that's where I stayed the last time yeah. I was in Buenos Aires. Yeah. I mean, I could, if you ask me this question neighbor. tomorrow, it would be probably something slightly different. <laughs> but today I'm feeling very classic and nostalgic. Sounds good. Um, well, let's leave it there. Anything we missed that you want to share briefly? No, I mean, there's too everything. We missed everything and brief is not in my vocabulary. So we'll just have yeah. to do a part two. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for your time. And do you quickly also want to share, we mentioned the podcast, mm-hmm. Bad Information. You can find it on most streaming platforms, if not yeah. all streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. Check her out. I've listened to a bunch of episodes. I thought it was really informative bad information um Mm -hmm. but great just to hear two expats i know you don't necessarily like that term (laughs) sorry but i can't think but i can't think of another one just talk about yeah immigrants (laughs) talk about uh life living abroad and Mm -hmm. what's that like so yeah anything else any uh instagram handles wild terrain stuff yeah well check out also yeah bad information i'm on instagram i'm la panza uh, wild terrains is wild terrains and um you can also follow my dog his name is pocho pocho panda on instagram <laughs> please i'm I'm, de- I'm his momager and i'm desperate for him to get his big break so i can quit my day job and just <laughs> follow him around the world as he becomes a supermodel what uh what kind of dog is it he's a little street dog a little panda he literally looks like just like a little you know but he's famous actually yesterday in the park someone stopped me and was like is this pocho and i was like yes how do you know and she was like oh because i always see him at the cafe at the shelter and he always begs for croissants and i was like yes that is my dog that is my child <laughs> so <laughs> awesome local right, celeb well, there, there you have it Paige. thanks again um thank you and maybe i'll catch you back in dc or in buenos aires yeah time. would love to have you all right sounds good you take care and yeah adios adios All right, Brad, we are back with another banger destination. For those who do not know, who do not have the bandwidth to understand what is going on here, it is an undeniable spot of all spots. And uh, this season, we've been talking a lot about cities that have, should, or will host the Olympics. So as we said, let's mix it up this week and go with a banger country. Where are we going to this week, Brad? 
Nate, this week we are taking a mystical journey to South America. I'm usually joking when I say that, but this week I'm not. This is a trip like no other we've taken on the podcast. The history and spirit of the Andean people in Peru truly make it one of the unique destinations on the globe. You layer in some jaw-dropping heights, some ceviche, and a landscape so colorful you think it was edited in Adobe. And man, Peru, as you said, is a legit banger. I've been before. Nate, as you said last pod, you're saving South America for later. So what's got you wanting to see Peru for the first time? Yes, I have not been, but I am incredibly excited to go. I think a lot of South America I have not gone through the weeds of and done the research on because I didn't want to get too excited or too drawn. But in this week, looking uh, looking into Peru a bit more closely, I think I've realized my goodness, does it have just the, some of the most beautiful scenery you could ask for and a wild amount of biodiversity. It's called mega, is it mega diverse? Mega, megaversity? Uh, anyways, some word by it's some a people lot. who rate, some people that rate things just, there's a lot of biodiversity <laughs> and, um, and that are smarter that, than you, clearly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, I think I, I'm really excited to go, especially with, you know, some of the, some of the things we're looking into here, but you've been, what makes you want to go back and what was your experience the first time? For me, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you are. It's landscapes. I first witnessed Peru in 2006. Nate, your mom was probably still packing your lunch then, I imagine. (laughs) I'll say that for about five years, Peru had my title for the best landscape I'd ever seen in my life. Until when? (sighs) Till the Himalayas, probably. Hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just the greenest greens, the bluest blues. It kind of reminds me of where where I live now in that Mm. regard big sky country second it's the connection to indigenous culture and the andean people they just you know they just embody this what what most indigenous cultures do this just connection to nature and to place their music is just man it's it's transporting you have the incan wisdom and you just let yourself sink into all that it's like time traveling did I romanticize wow. that enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lastly, that, that's all we do. We're just peddling shit, basically. <laughs> Lastly, it's the food. You have ceviche, lomo, pisco sours to drink. Peru has become a major player in the foodie verse over the last five to ten years, and I think that's something I didn't really get that exposed to back in 2006. It's also come a long way, but um, so let's start there uh, in Lima. Most everybody will fly into Lima. It's your jump off in Peru. It's a gateway. I must say it's hard on the eyes from my point of view, but it's easy on the taste buds. It's just a beast of a city. What it all comes down people, to. Yeah. 10 million strong. Damn. How did you know that? I was just looking up stats earlier. I love the stats. <laughs> you and me were on it. Did you also see that it makes that the 27th, it ranks 27th in the world in population? No, but that's probably where I'd put it because I'm just such a wonk. Stop it. That surprised me. Um, obviously didn't surprise Nate. No offense to Lima um, or any other city uh, I'm quite possibly about to offend in Latin America, but big cities aren't really the places you want to be, which I think is true pretty much from Mexico all the way to Santiago to Chile. I think 48 hours sounds about right here in Lima. 
Uh, you're not, again, you're not here for the scenery. You're here to eat. World-class dining cuisine makes it truly a gym in South America. It was home to the best restaurant in the world at one point, a little slice of heaven called Central. But no need to get fixed on Michelin stars in Lima. It's the type of place like any hole in the wall could be your next favorite restaurant. Mm -hmm. So I figured just kind of sit out, beat the streets. And Ask someone, hey, what's, you know, hey, what place around here is going to knock my socks off? There you go. Just where, say that in Spanish, yeah. Where are the old viejos eating, you know what I mean? What yeah. place looks like it has that that culture, has that life to it. I would just add to, before we close the chapter on Lima, is that it has a beach. It's a city beach. Still surfable. There's paragliding. You can make an adventure out of your stay there if you wanted to. But ultimately, I think there's so much to see outside of Lima that I would keep it moving. So you look Nate, around, you say, "Hmm, yeah, let's 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 let it rock." And I think yeah. that's a so get us there. the fair segue to to what I am really jazzed about. A few hours north of uh, Lima is Juarez. Looks like it could be Juarez, but you know my pronunciation is pretty trash. Yeah, it is with an H. I'm saying you should stay there for a few days because what you want to do is acclimate before what we're about to do. I'm saying we're about to get amongst one of the premier multi-day treks in South America. We are talking about the Huay Huash Circuit, and I'm probably butchered that again too. Banger. But it is eight to 12 days over all sorts of geography. We're getting high altitude passes, turquoise lakes, hot springs, towering snow-capped peaks. And it really, if you look at it, it's a mountain range of 30 by 15 kilometers. But don't let that little small dinky ass <laughs> football field sized mountain range confuse you. It is not a cakewalk. It is grueling. We're talking 15,000 foot passes every day. Holy I can't shit. breathe. Bang. But that is exactly what I want from this. I want the biggest pain for the biggest pleasure. Get in there and do some of the hardest hikes that Brad didn't have the balls to do when he was in his <laughs> 20s <laughs> and absolutely go for it. I think especially with – you think about South America, so much of the hiking destination is down south in Chile and Argentina. But why not go to a place like this where – you don't really know what you're getting exactly, but it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be rewarding. And I think that is kind of uh, uh, what I do. Because I think looking at these pictures, I'm like, this looks like it's on another planet. And if you know me, I travel to run away from my problems. So this is a perfect destination. <laughs> <laughs> so if you go if you go missing uh, in a couple years, I know where yeah, I'm, I'm off the grid over there. I know. But yeah. Where you're do you, uh, are you going to stay in this lane or are you going to go somewhere else? I'm going to change lanes. And we have this running joke. It's like, what's the Beyonce of a country or a city? What's the male rock star version of that, Nate? Uh, like we said, uh, what's, what, we said, what's the ooh, we said, what's the Beyonce of Barcelona, for example, right? And it was a Sagrada mm -hmm. Familia. Okay, so what's the male rock star version? Is it Jay Biebs? What's the Justin Bieber of Pitbull of Thailand? The what's Pitbull the, of Peru. <laughs> what's the Pitbull? Um, Eminem? No. The mm. Prince? What's the Prince of Peru? What's the, the Stevie Wonder? No? Michael Jackson? I, I think we want to stay away from yeah, that. Yeah, stay away from that. <laughs> if you've seen the documentary. All right. The, the I, I'm a, what is it, Brad? <laughs> I'm going to settle on. The Stevie Wonder of Peru is a trip to Cusco and Machu Picchu. It is a can't miss. 10 out of 10, I would recommend. I can't wait to see it again. Few places in the world live up to the hype. Machu Picchu delivers. So just real quick, here are my tips. It's plan ahead. 
first. You're going to need reservations for the Inca Trail if anybody wants wants to hike in that region and that area. They've really started to limit the number of visitors. Be wise to that. You're probably going to have to pay into a an outfitter to get that done. Part of the reason they're all doing this is Machu Picchu is literally falling into the valley. Cusco itself is amazing for indigenous history and significance, but it can feel incredibly touristy at times. So my recommendation here is just to be really intentional with your time here. It's a great place to acclimate to the altitude again for the first couple of days, say, but ideally you want to venture around Cusco if you can, rather than stay in town just for like those three days straight. One incredible option and a rather new addition to the area is called Rainbow Mountain. And if you follow any travel IG accounts, you've seen it. Nate, have you seen it? Heavily, yeah, heavily edited. Yes. Um, it was quote unquote discovered in 2015. My Aussie friends shouts to Rad and Jay. By stroke of luck, they came through here in 2016 and and were told by one of the guides that they were like one of the first thousand people to ever set foot there. Which that I is think, crazy. Which I think is is nuts and just one of those like lottery ticket hits of travel yeah. that, you know, I mean, just it's the feather in the cap for sure. Anyway, the name says it all. It's Rainbow Mountain. You know, put your imagination to use and I'm sure you'll figure it out. I'll just finish by saying that if you fall into the spirit of everything here, like let the Andean flute carry you away. Let the ancestors of this region guide you. Like believe, if you seriously like believe in that shit, just kind of have reverence for where you are and what that part of the world meant to a people and a civilization. If you just let that sink in and are, and are pretty conscious of it, you might be surprised what you experience. I had some very moving moments in Machu Picchu and in the area that I don't really have a explanation for so i just throwing that out there for you guys you know get yeah. mystical, get mystical I, I, get, one last get thing weird. i'll say about when we're on the tune of spirit i think yeah i'm pretty positive peru is the place where that guy norbert the austrian guy met he had done ayahuasca 22 times so oh peru is definitely if anybody's into ayahuasca we didn't get into it here but it's up more towards the Amazon in the northern yeah, it's part Joe of the Rogan's country. Podcast, not <laughs> That's not our lane. Get we yeah. did Joe Rogue's last week. Nate, so what's what are we finishing off? We are with finishing off sober and celibate. Um, I'm just joking. Uh, Arequipa is the city I'm bringing up. It's actually the second biggest city. Um, it's but it's only a million people. So Lima really takes the cake for for big city in this. Um, and what I've what I've seen is even though it's a bigger city. Arequipa does not feel like it. And it's sitting in the shadow of three volcanoes, including primarily the big one, El Misti, a.k.a. the Mister. Can you imagine waking up next to this guy? (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) Sounds Uh, a little grumpy. Yeah, exactly. Besides besides the shadow of the mountain, I'm drawn to what looks to be just a much more livable city than what you were describing with Lima. Uh, It's it's cleaner. It's on a river. It's lined with beautiful white buildings. Uh, You should have some sort of noise every time I mention architecture. The architecture of this city really just appeals to me. When we talk about white buildings, is it the Santorini of South America? Probably not, but that doesn't mean you can't have a good time, which I think leads me to kind of the antithesis of like the biggest challenge hike I want to do of my life is I want to stay here. I want to stay at a fun party hostel. I want to sit by a pool and drink. And I think this is a good place to do it from the looks of it. There's uh, we were mentioned in season one, Wild Rover, which what city was it the Wild Rover in? La Paz rated the top three best party hustle in the world. 
and they're, they've got a branch. They franchised it out. And from the looks of it, it looks like it lives up to the hype. They have a day bar and a night bar, and uh, it's got a pool. So I've, I feel like those that's like the one, two, three. That's the three henchmen of, of blowing off some steam after a long hike. So I have to ask you, Brad, does the alcohol hit different at this altitude? I can't say that the alcohol hit different just because being there hit different. I was coming up on a bus from northern Chile to Machu Picchu, and I woke up in the middle of the night as we passed by Lake Titicaca, and I just like, (gasps) I couldn't breathe. And I was just sleeping. You know what I mean? It was that profound. I can't say I ever really got acclimated. On that train ride up from Cusco to uh, Machu Picchu, there are oxygen tanks for everybody. You know, like they got those things on fucking deck, bro. That's crazy. I've seen, I saw a couple old people like get wobbly on them up there because it's just no joke. So, you know, kind of Nate's always point about travel while you're young. This is definitely a a region you want to hit while your lungs can still (laughs) provide enough oxygen to your body and to your brain. So I I can't really say, speak to the alcohol in particular. I do want to come back to Arequipa and note that it has become quite the destination on the backpacking trail. And I've heard nothing but great reviews. I've never been myself, but... Well, Brad, I think that does it for an absolute... Just another bang under the belt. That's the Justin Bieber of Peru. Uh, Mm. (laughs) I'm legit serious about this. I don't want to go back to a lot of big tourist destinations or wonders Uh. of the world. Yeah. Machu Picchu is a place that I will, if you'd ask me next winter, Nate, hey, Brad, you want to go back to Machu Picchu? I'd say, yeah, fucking yeah. Now you're giving me some ideas. (laughs) Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, I was just left speechless there on a number of occasions. And I'm just going to leave it at that. There's that. So that's Peru, uh... everybody. Big shouts to Paige. Thank you for joining us again and, and sitting with me. Nate, uh, we're getting close to the end of the the pod season, I think. Yeah, we're on the downhill. Um, We've got some fun stuff left here in the next couple weeks for you guys, so please stay tuned. Let's hit it. Big and snoozy. (laughs) Yeah, this time of the night, it's big and snoozy. Uh, But that's not my Instagram. We can you can follow us at at the road provides pod, one man caravan and big end Sunday. Much appreciated, like always, Brad. And we will see you next week. This is the road provides.